You're listening to True Stories Told Live. Welcome to Speakeasy, where our tellers get on stage with their whole, authentic, beautifully human selves and speak their experience. No notes, just the memory of a life lived. On our stage, you'll hear humor, hope, embarrassment, disappointment, grief, lust, anger, love, remembrance, the whole brilliant and nuanced spectrum of what it is to live as individuals in community with others. Here at Speakeasy, our incredibly gracious audience holds all of it, sighing together, laughing together, crying together, and cheering our hearts out together. There's a symbiotic thing we've got going here between our tellers and our listeners, where each person creates that sacred space that just unflinchingly holds each other's stories, where we bear bits of our souls and bear witness. Join us the first Thursday of every month in Columbus, Ohio, at 7 p.m., where we gather at Wild Goose Creative, nestled in amongst the gallery's newest art exhibit. With a simple theme as inspiration, 10 tellers sign up, brave up, step up in front of a microphone, and get honest. What you're about to hear is one of those stories. Uh, Hello. I can't see any of you, so it's a little bit terrifying. Uh, My name is Thomas. I always make it a point to say Thomas Savage because Savage is drastically more interesting than the name Thomas, so that's why. Um, A little background about me. I am from uh, the South. I've only lived here for two years, so I am from South Carolina. Um, The South is every bit as horrible and backwards as you've heard it is. Um, But it was, you know, an interesting experience. I think one of the earliest stories that I remember my mom telling me was how she... uh, was lost and she pulled into a parking lot and there happened to be a clan meeting happening oh. and uh, and I was well that sounds horrible and she <laughs> says oh no it was fine he uh, pointed me in the right direction and showed me out of the parking lot and I was like well at least he was friendly um, <laughs> so part of the difficulty of growing up in the South is that people aren't actually mean to your face they're just mean when you leave. And it's kind of a bless your heart, and they send you about your way and then talk shit about you. Um, One of the most important people in my life is my mom because she taught me a lot of things, as is everybody's mom, uh, that I actually still use today. I remember her sitting me down when I was eight, and she said, you've got uh, two jobs, and one is to go to school, and the other is to get into college for free. And I said, okay. Uh, she said it's not going to be super easy because you've got two strikes against you already and I said oh what are those and she said well you're black and I was like okay um, and she said well you're black and you're gay and I said well I'm not gay and she said okay we'll talk in a few years (laughs) and she was right how she knew then I don't know she was right Uh, One of the other less traumatic things that she instilled in me was a funny story before I move away from that. Fast forward three years, and she said, "Um, I think we really need to, you know, talk. Do you have anything to tell me? And I said, no, um, I don't. And she said, "Um, I just want to check in with you. Um, 
I saw Oprah. And, uh, you know, Oprah suggests, like, talking, so I'm here to talk. And uh, she said, you know, I noticed that, you know, you haven't really mentioned any girls. You haven't really brought any, you know, are you interested in girls, period. And I was like, sure, you know, whatever. And she said, well, you don't have to lie. It's okay. If you're gay, it's fine. I was like, I'm not gay. And then that day she said, okay. And then we went to the computer, and she taught me what a browser history was. And... Um, <laughs> As um, there's no experience quite like viewing the website Dick Network with your mom. And so we have a pretty close relationship. Um one of the things, to move away from that completely, uh, she always instilled in me was the love of education. School was very important to her. We never had a whole lot of money, and before she could really achieve her dreams, she got pregnant with my older sister, and so she's always wanted for us what's better than she had. And she instilled that love of education so much that I've always wanted to be a teacher. Um, I remember playing school when I was four and five years old, and I just always wanted to do it. I remember getting into high school and figuring out people saying what they wanted to do, and I would tell my friends, oh, I'm going to be a teacher. And they said, you're going to be on welfare. And I said, I don't think that's how that works, exactly. <laughs> but I ignored all of that. I became a teacher, and I was a teacher for six years. And um, not just any teacher. I was a middle school teacher for six years. <laughs> Moment of silence for you all to think about your fond memories from <laughs> middle school. But when I heard about the topic being kid logic, it made me think that some of my favorite logic is actually teenage knowledge. So my first year of teaching, I was with eighth graders, and so they're 13 or 14 years old, and they, this was in South Carolina. So there was a lot of interesting dynamics there. It's very rare for a student, at least in the South, to have a male teacher, let alone a black male teacher. And so, you know, it was the first day of school, and we, you know, kind of got to know each other, and then you could hear them, because I was teaching in a trailer, which was older than I was. Um, we called them learning cottages, to uh, <laughs> So, uh, in between classes, you could, I could hear them scuttling, because it was literally a thin piece of iron, or whatever that was. You could hear them scuttling around, they're like, oh, that's Mr. Savage, and people were like, oh, who's Mr. Savage? They're like, oh, you know, the black teacher. And I was like, and they were like, oh, the black one, okay. And so that was kind of how I was known. I was the black guy who taught them. I was teaching social studies, which was one of the most interesting subjects, because kids could just talk, and they could just share their opinions. And so I would do these things called Socratic seminars, which is basically you sit in a circle and you give them a question or a topic and they just say what's on their mind about that topic. Uh, you learn a lot of interesting things. There's no experience quite like hearing the voice of a 45-year-old conservative come out of a 12-year-old, but um, <laughs> it's interesting when a 13-year-old is very angry about the illegal stealing their job, which... <laughs> Okay, so in one of the less controversial uh, Socratic seminars, we, I posed the question, is it more important to be happy or to be successful? And so we go around the circle, uh, 
Lauren is our, uh, we, she was the task keeper. Uh, Lauren was very high strung, so she was very good at keeping people on task. And every time somebody would get off task, she would give them this look. And by the fifth look, she had said, you know, Mr. Savage, this is why I'm on Zoloft. And I said, I don't have a response for you, but it's okay. So we're going around the circle, and one of the favorite topics, I don't know how often you talk to 13-year-olds, they loved, at least at that time, to talk about the Illuminati. And they can manage to fit it into any conversation. If you do not know what the Illuminati is, the short version is Beyonce is Satan reincarnated and everybody else just works for her. So we're going around the circle and Hunter speaks up. And Hunter, the best way to describe him is if you know Hyde from that 70s show, this is Hunter. And so Hunter has said nothing. And the point of the Socratic seminar is everybody says something. I did not realize he did not say anything. Lauren, however, did. And so (laughs) Lauren's like, Hunter, you said nothing. Say something. To which Hunter says, I want to be successful, but I don't want to sell my soul, man. To which Lauren says, God damn it, Hunter. (laughs) Um, He said, no, no, but look, like, I want to be successful, but, like, college is like the Illuminati, though. And so we're all like, tell us more, Hunter, about how college is the Illuminati. And he says, well, you know, people go through, kids go through elementary and middle school and high school, and they have these great ideas about how they're going to change the world. And then by the time they get out of college, the ones who are the most successful are the most boring people. They've had all of those exciting things sucked out of them. It's a trade-off. He says, in order to be successful when you graduate from college, and he said, once you get that degree, um, you basically give them your soul in exchange if you want to make money. He says, so like, Mr. Savage, you're not in the Illuminati because nobody would trade their soul to be a teacher. (laughs) Valid. um, (laughs) But we all just kind of sat on there. Lauren is silently pacing in the back of the room. But we're all, the rest of us are like, that's an interesting point. Can you tell us more about that? And he's like, nah, I can't tell you more about that. (laughs) And so throughout the year, at my desk, I had this sign uh, that said, don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And so it didn't matter what it was. I didn't want to hear the problem. Just tell me how you plan to fix it, whatever the problem is. And that whole year, I had the pleasure of watching these kids find the most creative solutions to even the most simple problems. It's kind of like, oh, my pencil broke. Okay, what should we do about that? I think we should establish, you know, like a pipeline where, like, I could pass the pencil to her, and then she can, like, toss it to him, and then... And Lauren says, just get up and walk to the pencil shop. So Lauren's like, <laughs> Lauren's like the dream crusher of the group, but that's okay. And so for me, I think that one of the more important things I've learned is that a lot of adults, we have this tendency to tell kids that they'll understand when they're older, that they just don't get it, or that it's more complicated than they think it is. I was teaching South Carolina history. 
spoiler alert, 95% of South Carolina history is slavery. They literally said, when can we stop talking about slavery? I was like, when it stopped happening, which was a long time. And at a certain point, uh, we were talking about racism and these things, and we talked about how could they have solved it? And this kid says, stop being racist. You were like, no, it's more complicated than that. How could we stop? He was like, they could like pick their own cotton and stuff. And we were like, well, that's not as that can't fill a history book if they just started to pick their own cotton. <laughs> and so <laughs> I what I loved about it is that they taught me so many more things about just being open. And the idea with kid logic is even if you don't see it. I encourage you, if you have children yourself or if you're around them, let them sit on those ideas for a while. Even if it's something where you're like, that doesn't work, that can't happen. One of the best things that you can do to encourage this kid logic is to let them come to those conclusions on their own. When we crush their ideas, they adapt to our ideas. It keeps them from being creative. If you let them try an idea and it doesn't work, They'll just come up with another idea that might work. And so Kid Logic is one of the best resources that we have, but it's also becoming a very rare resource because the spoiler alert in life is like adults fuck up children. <laughs> children don't screw up children. They are screwed by the adults that come into their life and tell them that they have to adapt to these rules that we created. So of all of the logic there is, kid logic, specifically teen logic, is my favorite. If you have not done it in a while, go say hi to a 13-year-old. They will blow your mind. Thank you. <laughs>